you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with us to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, where we'll be resuming there in verse 10 this morning. Um, as we come to this text, uh, maybe it's an appropriate time to ask if you've ever been surprised and been like, well, man, that fell apart quickly, or you didn't see that coming, right? Some things just don't last long. Consider some of celebrity marriages, right? Sonny and Cher, after they divorced, she remarried Greg Allman, and that lasted nine days. Not to be outdone, Nicolas Cage was married for a total of four days. And then even further, Britney Spears was married for a grand total of 55 hours. My point isn't to punch down on celebrities, but to remind us that we live in a culture that commitment, covenant, promise means little. And so as we come to this text today, we need to be asking ourselves, what kind of covenant has God made with this man, Abram, who would become known as Abraham? And then in essence, what kind of covenant is God making with us in Christ? Who is this God? And what we'll remind ourselves or see today is that as marriage comes together, again, we have what's maybe a conditional covenant where two parties are coming together to make an agreement to one another, right? For better, for worse, for richer, poor, sickness and health, till death do us part. But then as we come to this covenant today, what we're going to see, this is what's known as an unconditional covenant. It's where one side agrees to fulfill a promise that isn't dependent upon the other. That's the kind of covenant that God's going to make with this man named Abram. And we're going to see that there are immediate threats and challenges to this very covenant. Is it possible, right, that this covenant will continue? And what we're going to find is despite Abram's sin and failure, God remains faithful to his covenant forever. Despite Abram's sin and failure, God remains faithful to his covenant promise forever. It's possible that the screen may not work this morning. That's okay if it doesn't. We're going to be in Genesis 12, and you'll be making your way with us. I think this text has to sound a warning to us all today. That when the warning is this, we fail to trust God. And because we fail to trust God, then other things begin to manifest themselves. And that's what happens here with Abram as he begins to scheme and lie. And so as you wrestle with the fact that maybe you struggle today specifically with this issue of lying and scheming, The truth is something's deeper happening. There's a failure to trust God. There's something happening at work in your identity and your trust and your commitment to the Lord. I think today's text tells us three reasons why we should trust the Lord or things that stand out for us. One is there's what threatens the covenant. Secondly, we're going to see what keeps the covenant or who keeps the covenant. And finally, what is the warning and hope that the covenant provides? So if you have, again, your copy of God's word, we're going to turn there. And asking this question, can my failures or can anything stop God's covenant promises? That's the big idea we're after today. Can my failures, can anything stop God's covenant promises? Again, it won't be on the screen this morning, but you can just turn your way with me. There's probably a Bible in the pew if you don't have one. But Genesis chapter 12, the first truth is this. We're asking this question, what threatens the covenant? So what threatens the covenant. And as we see here today, as we look in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
immediately there's a threat to the covenant, right? God is, as you studied with us last week, God had just made this promise to Abram, go from your land and your country and your kindred and your family to a land that I will show you and I will bless you and I will make your name great and those who bless you, I will bless and those who curse you, I will curse and in you, that's where that climax came to, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now immediately, literally we've not made it maybe six verses later, we have a threat. It's an external threat, right? And this one's famine. And it says the famine's in the land. It says further, this famine is severe. And so because of that, Abram has to leave the the promised land that he's headed to and sojourn down in Egypt. The question immediately becomes, is God able to keep his promise? Is this going to be too much for God to overcome? Well, look what happens. Pick up with verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, we're going to return back to this convo a little bit more in a minute, but we've seen that not only is famine a threat, now we're seeing another external threat, and it's it's it's... Yes, it's Sarai's beauty, but ultimately it's Pharaoh himself. He's worried that as they get to Egypt, they're going to see how beautiful Sarah is and they're going to kill him because of it. Now, you may think, man, that's, I mean, he's just, he's worried. He's overreaching here. No, think back to David, right? David saw Bathsheba there bathing on the rooftop. He brings her in. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. And what's ultimately David have done to Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah? What happens? Has him killed. So the threat's real, right? That, that, that does happen. But again, we see that, guess what? Are his thoughts about her true beauty, are they actually true? Listen to what happens in the text. Verse 14. It says, When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkey, donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Right? We, we, we need to stop here for a moment, I think. Because we th- might have thought that Abram's blowing smoke. We might refer to this as just some pillow talk between a husband and a wife. Like, baby, you're so beautiful. Nobody's like you. But that isn't the case. Right? Look at verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Now the princes see her and tell Pharaoh about her. And immediately now there's a threat. Why? Because now she is taken into Pharaoh's harem, right? And so there is the real threat to the promise. Why? Because God has promised, listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And now this is Abram's wife that's taken seemingly off the scene. The threat is real. Maybe just for a practical moment, though, it's just a reminder of the importance, husbands, of just telling your wife she's beautiful. I've shared the story before, but... It was probably back in 2008, Emily and I came to church, and we had one of those mornings which you probably had before, where you and your spouse are mad at each other, and you don't talk to each other, and you walk into church, and you talk to everybody else, but you don't talk to each other. And Emily and I were in the, in the church office, and Forrest Kelly walks in that morning, and he says to Emily, Miss Emily, you sure look pretty this morning. And, and that week, when Forrest and I went out visiting, I shared a little bit of Emily and I's fight and argument, and I said, Forrest, you know, you told Emily she looked pretty this morning. I hadn't said anything to her, and... Forced pause for a moment. And he said these words that just continue to ring in my soul. And some of you heard the story before. He said, Blake, don't let another man ever be the first one to tell your wife she's beautiful. 
So just for a practical moment here from one of the wisest men I've ever known, Forrest Kelly, and the great father of our faith, Abram, might it be a reminder to every husband here, tell your wife she's beautiful. Just a practical moment there of just this text. But again, the threat is real. And listen, the threat is real, and we're wrestling with something, right? Why? Because at this age, I don't know if you could guess how old Sarai is, and some of you may know, but she's 65. Right now, I talked with another brother this week. I said, hey, listen, this is one of those moments where I'm just trying to comment on the text. This is one of those don't shoot the messengers, right? I'm not making any comment about older women and beauty. That is not what I'm saying here. But there is some real wrestling, right? Like, how is this happening? How are all these men speaking about this woman that's 65 being so beautiful, right, that she stands out seemingly above all the rest? And commentators aren't sure. One of the things that's been proposed is that Sarah doesn't die until she's 127, and so this might equate her to a woman in her 30s or early 40s. I, I don't know the answer to it, but what does stand out is this is a threat to the promise. This is real, and the Egyptians are here, and they see that she's beautiful, and now she's taken into Pharaoh's house. And again, now there's no chance that Abram and Sarah can conceive together because she's now a part of the king's harem. And what's bigger than the external threats, beloved, is what's happening internally, and that's this. We talked about it a while ago in our time of confession. Abram's lying. Abram's lying. He's scheming. Now listen, is there some truth to his story? Yeah. I mean, it's technically in some ways there, there is a little bit of truth to it, and often that's how lies work, right? Is that actually Abram and Sarah have the same father but two different mothers? So in some ways, when he says, tell them that you're my sister, there's some technical truth to it. But it's a reminder, half-truths are really lies. And so we're going to hear it from Pharaoh and himself, and he's going to rebuke him. But might we ask the question deeper, right, that we all need to wrestle with today is when we have moments. And maybe some of you, again, lying for you is just maybe an occasional thing. And I'm assuming there's some in this room, you're a consistent liar. We need to ask why. Why is Abram lying here? And here's the reality of why Abram's lying. He's failing to trust God. Consider that. Think about some of your most recent lies. What were you after? Maybe it was to save your own skin. Maybe it was to appear better to others. But ultimately, in doing those things, you're committing or confessing. Guess what, God? I don't trust that you're really good enough for my identity. So if I don't have this kind of level of identity, or if I can't stay out of this trouble or get myself to this ranking up or whatever it is, Lord, ultimately, I'm like Abram. I'm failing to trust you. I mean, it's, it's just, it's profound. I mean, this is the father of our faith, right? We, we sing that song as kids, right? Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and what? So are you. So maybe in singing that song, maybe we need to remind ourselves that we're liars and so is the person next to us. And that can make us really uncomfortable if we're rejecting the cross. But our lies and our failure to trust God, beloved, ought to instead cause us, listen, the temptation is in our sin, we're going to do just like Adam and Eve, we're going to hide, we're going to run away. But the gospel, you sang it earlier, you sang the words of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Right? May your kindness lead me what? To repentance. You were singing it. You were singing the words of Scripture, that very song. Romans chapter 2. Beloved, let the fact that you and I struggle 
And let the reminder, oh, how the mighty have fallen again. Abram doesn't make it out of the very first chapter in which he's introduced. This father of the faith is there lying, failing to trust God. In some way, Abram is like Adam in the garden. He's failing to protect his wife. Right? Adam stands by when the serpent's talking to Eve and he doesn't step in. Here is Abram who lies and ends up standing by as his wife is taken in to possibly be sleeping with another man. Might we say to Abram, a little less talk and a lot more what? Action. Church, we can't pass by this without realizing the threat to Abram. The covenant is real. Is this, this covenant with God is based upon Abram being worthy enough, then he has no chance. He can't even make it out of one chapter. Similarly, if our acceptance before God, this is important, is based upon our own worthiness or our own goodness or our own qualification, then we also, like Abram, have no chance. Let's be clear. Whatever happens from this point forward in the story, we're going to be able to say this about Abram's life. Deliverance isn't deserved. He doesn't deserve this. This isn't like, oh man, oh, oh we're going to be like Abram because he always gets it right. Now, Abram gets it right a lot, but not always. I mean, Noah got it right a lot, but not always. David got it right a lot, but not always. Peter got it right a lot, but not always. Paul got it right a lot, but not always. You may get it right a lot, but not always. And the reminder is we are all desperately in need of the grace and mercy of God from which we've been singing this morning. Again, Abram's obedience isn't what secured the promise. It is ultimately God's mercy and grace. It is as we sing, beloved, he looked beyond my fault and saw what, church? A need. So let's see these words, that song being lived out and this second truth. Again, the first question was, what threatens the covenant? We've seen the external things, whether it's famine or Pharaoh. And we've seen ultimately what threatens the covenant was Abram's failure to trust in God. And his lies. But now let's ask a deeper question. Another question that's greater and more important. What keeps the covenant? Or maybe better yet stated, who keeps the covenant? Pick up with you would. Verse 17 is just one of those absolute beautiful verses. But the Lord. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I mean, this is a monumental moment that sets the tone of what this covenant means, this promise with God. What does it actually mean? It's not going to be based upon how good Abram is. He's already exposed as a man who's willing to lie and he's not willing to protect his wife. Now this entire text, it turns right there on verse 17. Look at it. But the Lord. But the Lord. And beloved, listen, that's our anthem too. But the Lord. I mean, consider it today. I don't know what text you studied in Sunday school, but wrestling with Ephesians 2, which Todd just preached a couple weeks ago. I mean, contemplate Ephesians 2 is one of the, the most important texts, I believe, in the entire Bible. But we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're under the prince of the power of the air like the rest of the world following our own sinful passion and desires. And then verse 4. 
Similar to Genesis 12 and 17. But God. But God steps in and does for us what we could never do for ourselves. I mean, listen, Abram, man, he's out of hope now. Like, what's he going to do? He's already been telling this lie. He doesn't have the power to overcome. He's in another land. There's no, I mean, his family, he already left his family anyway. But listen, he didn't have anybody with him. What's Abram going to do against Pharaoh and his army? His wife is now taken. It seems hopeless. And that's where the text continually brings us to, to show us that is our true self. But the Lord. Hear that refrain. That's the hope of the gospel. But the Lord but the Lord, but the Lord. And Ephesians 2 and 4 again, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, has made us alive in Christ Jesus. It's the anthem of the gospel. Abram isn't blessed because he was so good. And Abram is being blessed. Why? Because God is so gracious. As amazing as this covenant is with Abram, there's an even greater covenant that is to come. That looks forward to Jesus himself when he announces there on that night that before he's crucified, he says, this blood is the blood of the new what? The new covenant. And I'm going to seal it with my blood. I'm going to seal it with my life. Do you see that? Listen, beloved. Today, you and I, we all have struggles here. Let's just be transparent. And if even this past week, your entrance into the kingdom of heaven depended upon your performance, you and I aren't going to make it. Let's be even more transparent. If yesterday's performance was what qualified or disqualified for us to the kingdom, none of us are making it. Just based on yesterday. But beloved, that's why this gospel is such good news. That's why Galatians says in Galatians 3 that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abram. What is that gospel? That you will never be good enough, but God is gracious and mercy. And listen, it is His promises that remain forever. It is this new covenant that is to come in Christ. Beloved, He's the one that secures your redemption. Church, rest today. It's Christ's work. It's His blood. We can't keep the covenant good enough. Today's text says, though, stop trusting in yourself and turn from your sin to Christ, crying out to God, but God, have mercy on me. As we sang earlier, what patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender today, consider it, is calling you home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is what, church? It's more. Today, some of you feel like you're the weakest, the vilest, the poor. You may feel like you don't even deserve to be here. After the things you've done or said this week or in your past, I don't know how many years or weeks or months it's been. Can I just say to you, that's the truth for every single one of us. There's not a person in this room that deserves or has earned it. That's why it's grace, beloved. That's what's so amazing about this God. But the Lord, this is God revealing his faithfulness. He promised Abram, right? I will curse those who what? Curse you. And listen, Pharaoh may not know that he's stepping over the line, but guess what? God soon lets him know. Now, we don't necessarily know what's meant by this. Again, it says in verse 17, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife, Commentators aren't exactly sure what these great plagues would have meant, but the wording, the Hebrew wording that's being used indicates some type of skin disease. 
Whatever it is, it's drastic enough that Pharaoh soon finds out that Sarai is Abram's wife. I think it must cause us as believers to wonder, how could a pagan king fear God more than the man of God? Consider that. There may be unbelievers that you work with who seem to have a greater fear of God than you do. Beloved, that's not right. It's perplexing. Like, Abram, shoot this great man of faith. Like, brother, what are you doing? Sister, we might ask ourselves, sister, what? What are you doing? Again, he accuses Abram, right, asking all those questions. Like, what? Why? 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 Like, man, why, why didn't you tell me? Like, brother, why are you lying to me? And again, Abram is, is just stone cold quiet. We're going to come to that more in a moment. But despite the fact that Abram fails to trust God, God remains faithful. Psalm 105, listen, you don't have to turn there, but just maybe hear it this morning. Psalm 105 begins in verse 12. It tells the story of, of Israel's history. Just write it down. Listen to it now, but write it down. Check it out later. Specifically, verses 12 to 15 of Psalm 105. Listen now. Hear the word of the Lord. When they were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, listen to this statement, verse 14. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He allows no one to oppress them. He rebukes kings on their account. Why? Because they're worthy? No, because he is gracious and merciful, and he is always faithful to his covenant promises. In verse 8, again, if you have Psalm 105 open, you're going to see it, but if not, just hear it. Listen to what it says. He remembers his covenant forever. What a statement. He remembers his covenant forever. God always remains faithful, beloved. Always. Now, you may have picked up on it as you're hearing the story, and Psalm 105 surely does pick up on the anthem, that there are parallels. Remember who's writing the book of Genesis. It's Moses. And he's writing it to the people who have come out of Egypt that are in the wilderness. Can you imagine as they hear this story of their father, their faith, they're thinking, man, that sounds a lot like us. Like, we ended up in Egypt because of a what? A famine, remember? It drove Joseph and the, and the family there, ultimately ends up there. And, and just like Abram, listen, knowing this famine's there, but there was a Pharaoh who was oppressing them. And just like that, they had no power or ability to deliver themselves, but it was God who sent the plagues. And ultimately, Pharaoh says something similar to the people of Egypt that he does to Abram here. Go! And they leave blessed, just like the people in, when they leave Egypt there as, as many. Abram leaves as one, as a family here, blessed. In so many ways, it, it prefigures and shadows what's going to happen in the Exodus. I, I wrote this, the story of the Bible isn't how great are God's people, but instead how great is our God. The story of the Bible isn't how great are God's people, but instead how great is our God. I beloved, it. I'm hoping and praying you leave with that today written on your heart. How great is this God? How great is he? Speaking of encouragement, listen, Abram began this chapter on a high point, right? Willing to trust that God was going to do what he thought. What, I mean, listen, it sounds impossible. Make of this man who he and his wife are old and they've had no children. They're barren. It seems impossible, but he's going to make from them a great nation. He's going to bless all the nations through them. He believes that. And then before again, he makes it out of this very chapter. He's failing to trust God and lying and scheming. 
But chapters 13 to 14 are going to show again Abram on a high point, and we're going to follow Abram. Sometimes he seems high, sometimes he seems low. And, and I want to say that because, listen, some of you today, you find yourself high, on a high top spiritually. Man, things are just rocking well for you. Others of you find yourself at a low valley spiritually. I want to let you know today, whether you find yourself in the lowest valley or the highest mountaintop, God is still faithful. The Lord who is with you, beloved, is faithful. It's the hope of the gospel. This text reminds us, listen, we may have the temptation to write others off permanently because of their sin and mistakes, but that's not God's heart. In other words, all of us have blemishes on our report card. Maybe today you need to contemplate, who do I need to show God's mercy to? Who do I need to follow God's example with? Maybe it's a spouse you've written off. Maybe it's parents that you think, man, I'll just never talk with them again. Maybe it's a child that you feel like you could never trust again. Maybe it's another member of this church. You're just like, man, I am done with them. Beloved, let God's example of this mercy and grace be what compels us to show it to others. This is why we sing, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever what? Will be. God's compassions they fail not. He's not changing. This beloved, again, there's threats to the covenant. Absolutely, as we see here with Abram and his scheming and his lying. And there's Pharaohs and there's famines and there's all these things. Listen, you've got them in your life too. There's all these threats to God's promises. All these things happen in your life. There's government working. There's all these things at play around you. And most of all, there's the own sin and struggle that you and I have in our hearts. But, beloved, the good news is, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord. I'm telling you, anchor your soul there this morning. He is my righteousness. Right? That song, you know, I'm just, all these songs just keep ringing in my heart and mind. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he what? Died for me. It's enough. But maybe as we close, we might just ask, what warning and what hope does the covenant provide? What warning and what hope does the covenant provide? And the first is the warning. Why? Because I think there's a danger that we might hear this text and walk away thinking, if God's going to be faithful, then it really doesn't matter how I live. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Abram schemes, he lies, and that brother leaves more blessed than he started. Maybe that's what this text is teaching. It's not. And I want to show you maybe just some things that stick out. One is silence. When Abram is rebuked by Pharaoh, he gives no response. It is Moses' way of saying to us, listen, this is not the example to follow. This isn't the way that you should go. Not only is there silence, I think, secondly, there, there's a snare. You remember now, listen, he leaves blessed in verse 20 with all these things. And verse 16 tells us about many of those different details of all the animals and all the things that he's left with. But you know what's going to happen in the very next chapter? Those riches become a snare and it creates division in his family. And thirdly, listen, so there's, I think there's silence, I think there's a snare. And third, there's a servant. If you look back in verse 16, and we just hear just simply this. And for her sake he dealt with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, and female servants. Now, we aren't sure when Hagar shows up, but Hagar was an Egyptian slave. 
And we know what ends up ultimately happening as Sarah and Abram fail to trust God again and they go a different route. What's my point? My point is this. Just because our sin doesn't have immediate consequences, don't believe it doesn't have consequences. So don't let this text lull you into sleep to think, you know what, man, I'm a child of God. I can live any way I want. That is not the testimony of this book, beloved. That's not it. That's not the story of the Scriptures. It's saying to us, listen, God isn't just going to bless us no matter how we live. There ought to be a real warning here. There's real consequences. As Galatians 6 and 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man reaps, that will he also sow. Sorry, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Galatians 6 7, hear it again, right? Not from my fault. Let me just look at the script. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I want to ask you, what are you sowing? If you are failing to trust the Lord and it's manifesting itself in lies and scheming and all those things, I want you to know, beloved, there will come a day when you will be exposed. And I pray, truthfully, I pray that it happens here and now and not in the presence of God when it's too late to cry out for that mercy and that grace. So this word is a word of warning, but I think it also provides a word of hope. As Romans 11 and 29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Despite our sin and failures, God will remain faithful to his promise to never leave or forsake us. Jesus himself said he's going to lose none of those whom the Father has given him. I want to compel you to rest today despite all of your sin and failures and mistakes and my sin and failure mistakes and blunders of just this past week. Beloved, the good news is God's grip on our souls has not lessened one little bit. It is as we're going to sing in just a moment, He will hold me fast. To the believers in this room this morning, I want to consider the story again just for a moment. Abram sins and puts his wife in danger, but God intervenes and afflicts Pharaoh so that Abram and Sarah are not only safe, but they leave blessed. Why? Because as we said in Psalm 105, God remembers His covenant forever. This is ultimately a picture of what Christ does for us. We've messed up. Maybe you'd be willing to acknowledge you've lied, you've schemed, you've gone all of your own ways. But what God does is, guess what? He sends His own Son. And guess who is afflicted for our sin? It's the Son of God. He receives the judgment, the wrath, the payment. And we receive the blessing, the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace that we might go on living a transformed life, that we might be those new creation, and that we might inherit the kingdom of God. This is a great picture of what God is doing, beloved. To the unbeliever in the room this morning, I compel you, stop trusting in yourself and trust in the Lord. Hold fast to that word, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord. To the believers, to the church this morning, might we hear this promise of God's faithfulness and remind us of Jesus' words, I will build my church. Let's be clear, Abram's sin doesn't mean how we live doesn't matter. Nor does it say that God's going to do what He's going to do so we can just be lazy as a church. He's going to do what He's going to do anyway. That's not what the Bible here in Genesis 12 or the story of Abram or the rest of the Scripture is teaching. But, beloved, today's text is reassuring to us that God is forever faithful to His promises. And it's He who has promised to build His church. 
Therefore, let's not cut corners. Let's not just tell people what they want to hear so we can try to get them to make a decision so we'll feel better about ourselves and better about our numbers. Let's hold fast to this gospel. Let's preach and teach and share the truth of the gospel. Why? Because God's promised he's going to build his church. So we don't have to wimp it down or water it down or try to come up with little manipulation tactics and emotion-stirring things to get people to come. That's not it. God will build his church, and he is forever faithful to his promise. So let the church just rest. And let's go passionately, expectantly, that God is going to build his church. And people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language are going to be around the throne one day, according to Revelation 7. In light of that, let's go faithfully trusting our Lord and Savior to do what he's promised. This morning, we stand and sing. You're going to be singing these words. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Did you hear that? His promises shall last. Today, some of you have been believers longer than I've been alive. And you know the reason why? Because God's holding you fast. Some of you, maybe Alex is the newest believer in this room, been believers only for a few weeks. The reason why is because God is holding you fast. The reason why you and I will still be around the throne 10,000 years times 10,000 years from now is because God will still be holding us fast. It is the hope of the gospel. Our God is forever faithful to his promise, beloved. Let your soul rest in him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you are forever faithful. Thank you, Lord, that you are forever true. God, thank you that it has to rely upon my ability this morning to have a smooth enough tongue. But God, I can trust in the fact that you are going to build your church. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for your bride. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power to convict Thank you, God, for your word that is here that we don't have to rely upon men's ideas or thoughts, but we have your very word. Oh, God, this morning we want to say thank you for that anthem, but the Lord. Thank you, God, that you intervened in the life of Abram when he had no hope. Thank you, God, that you intervened in our lives when we, too, were dead in trespasses and sin. And we, as Ephesians 2 says, were without God and without hope in the world. Thank you, God, for what you have done for us. Now, Lord. In response, how can we keep from worshiping you? How can we keep, God, from confessing sin and no longer lying? And as Colossians said to us this morning, putting off the old self. God, in response to your word this morning, I pray your spirit would move and you would transform our souls. And there would be repentance and praise and confession and reconciliation between husbands and wives and reconciliation between church members and and those who just say, God, increase my faith. And Father, all these things are only of you. Oh, God, please do what only you can do, Lord. Please, God, praise your name forever. You are going to build your church. Oh, God, build it this morning through the preaching of your word through this feeble man for the glory of your name forever. I pray. Amen.